Good morning. Glad you're with us today. It's spring break. Lots of folks are gone, but glad that you're here with us today. That early service, let me tell you, folks were a little bit sleepy, and I sometimes like to sing and close my eyes, and I realized during the first song I'd close my eyes, and then I thought, I can't open them again. So I had to physically use my hands to get my uh, eyelids open. Glad you're here with us. I can already tell by your quiet nature you're a little bit sleepy today. Maybe I ought to just cut out all the humor I have planned because I'm not sure it's going to work. We have two great needs that are happening right now that I want to share with you, and one of them for sure we can, most of us can be a part of, but I want to give you, tell you about another one just very quickly, that uh, there is an Afghan family, Afghani family, that has been, after being airlifted out of Afghanistan, has been sent to Oklahoma, and they're going to be here tomorrow through Wednesday in front of a, a judge that they have to go before in order to get all their paperwork. And they are needing a place to stay. There are five people in this family. They're needing a place to stay and someone that can pick them up at the bus station and, and help them. If you can help with any of that this Monday through Wednesday, they leave Wednesday, uh, please talk to me after the service and I can get you in touch with someone who can help you. Now here's another one. As you have already seen in the bulletin today, received announcements about, text about, Tonight, we're having a special service. We always have our, our Sunday night service, but tonight is very specific. It is about songs that we're singing for those, and a short message from me for those in Ukraine and those who have had to flee Ukraine, as well as for those Christians who are in Russia who are in harm's way also. As many of you know, we support a missionary in Russia, in Siberia, and obviously things have become very difficult for them also. So we are praying for those folks tonight calling this a postcard to Ukraine where we sing and lift up our voices. Obviously, it's to God, but it's songs of hope in God that we want to share with those folks. Now, we ask you to come about 545 tonight. We'll be in the chapel. For those of you who watch online our, our evening service, there will be a, a, a rerun for you tonight that will be seen then because this service will be edited, and then later on, hopefully by next week, we can have it out and you can see See that service and share it with as many people as you like. But we want to give hope to fellow Christians who are struggling. And as you know, there are thousands of Christians in Russia and in Ukraine. Among churches of Christ, there are literally thousands of members in Ukraine. And, and many of you have been there on mission trips. You know what I'm talking about. And so we want to do everything we can to help and to encourage and to bring, bring hope to people who are struggling. Today, my lesson is, as you've already seen, is about dealing with the crisis. And not because of that service, but it sure works into this, that we all deal with crises in our lives from time to time. Where I grew up, we were worried about tornadoes, and so everybody had a plan. If there is a tornado, the, the, you would watch the weather, you would know from the weather to be ready, and everybody had a safe room or, or had a cellar or whatever it may be. Sometimes they called them Frady holes back in the day where you went when you were afraid and you either had one or you knew who had one in your neighborhood and that's where you were headed if there was a tornado. You knew to be prepared for that. Now, when we moved to Houston, we found out it wasn't about tornadoes. We might be a little bit here every once in a while, but the thing to worry about is a hurricane, right? 
And so everyone has their hurricane kit, and everybody gets prepared, and we're like, well, what do we put in a hurricane kit? And so, you know, you have batteries and water and Clorox, and we have this little, this little crank radio and crank light we can do, and just as soon as you stop, it quits. I remember listening to Greg Hurst through Hurricane Ike, and, and, and the whole time, if I stopped, he quit talking, so I had to keep going so I could hear Greg talk. And so we want to be prepared when there is a crisis in our life. We want to be prepared for whatever that is. And we know that crises come, don't we? Some of us in this room today are probably dealing with, with not a crisis, but crises right now. Obviously, we worry, and, and it makes us nervous to see what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, and we pray about that situation. Maybe we probably ought to pray without ceasing, obviously, about that. But there are also things that... They hit us personally sometimes. It's a family member in harm's way. It's someone who is dealing with cancer or heart issues or whatever it may be. It's worried about a job. All of those things are difficult. Families that aren't getting along, divorce or families that don't speak to each other, kids that are running crazy, whatever it may be, we all deal with crises. If you are not dealing with any right now, you know that they're coming. Because it's just part of life, isn't it? It's the way, it's what we deal with. So we prepare before. So I think about Noah, for example. Noah lived a godly life. If you don't know the story of Noah, go to the first book in the Bible in Genesis. You can read the story of Noah very quickly. Noah lived a godly life. Out of all the people on earth, God looked down and said, they're all bad. Except for Noah. Noah is the one guy who's doing what's right. And you remember that Noah and his family were saved and put on the ark. Noah and his wife and his three sons and his three daughters-in-law were all put on the ark because Noah had been living a godly life. Now, Noah didn't initially probably realize that he was preparing for a flood. He said, well, yes, he did because he built the ark. Well, yeah, at that point he realized he was preparing for a flood. But I mean all the way before that, whenever God said, Look at that man who is living a godly life. That's the one I want to build the ark. So when Noah was being ethical, when everybody else was unethical, when Noah was, was worshiping God, when everybody else was worshiping themselves, when Noah was doing right and treating people the right way and loving his neighbor while other people were hating their neighbors and, and causing conflict and chaos... He was actually preparing for the ark even though he didn't know it. This morning, we're doing the same thing. If you are not in a, in, a, in, a, in a problem right now, if you don't have an issue going on right now, you are actually preparing for it maybe without even realizing it. So many people, whenever they get to that point that maybe they're in pain, or maybe they're, they're, they're in a place in life that they're far from home. All at once songs start coming to their minds, hymns. It is well with my soul. One of those we sing today, how great thou art. And, and newer ones, for example, I think of one, it's semi-new. The battle belongs to the Lord. Those songs start coming to people's minds. And you know when they were singing them? They were singing them on sunny days when they didn't know there were any problems at all. But now in the midst of the conflict, they're prepared more than they would have been because they had been preparing all along without even realizing it. So Noah did build the ark, and he built what God directed. 
He didn't just go off on his own. He did what God said. You remember he went and got the gopher wood and he built it to the, same, to the exact specifications of what God had ordered him to build. From what I understand, I think this is interesting, our front lawn is almost exactly the specifications of the ark. I don't think that was done on purpose, but a few years ago when we were doing BBS and we measured it all out, that's about what it was, which is kind of interesting. But Noah did what he was called to do. Now, there's also another man that prepared, and we're not going to, I'm not going to tell you his whole story today because you have to come back next week to hear his story. But Joseph prepared. You're going, oh, I can't wait, right? So Joseph prepared. His story is also told in the book of Genesis. But after a series of unlikely events, except that God's hand was in it, of what appears to be a series of unlikely events, you remember that Joseph became second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt, most second most important man in the land, in the most powerful country in the land. And so Joseph prepares. You remember that God gave him this special ability to tell dream, to be able to interpret dreams. And you remember Pharaoh had these dreams. He had dreams that there were going to there were going to be bad times and good times, really good times and then bad times. And Pharaoh didn't understand what they meant. So God gave Joseph the power to interpret those in Genesis 41, in verses 47 through 49. This is what Joseph says about what these dreams mean and what, how they should enact them. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Do you see what he's doing? He is what we say preparing for a rainy day. He can see what's there. Now even if he couldn't see that there would be years of drought, he would have known there would be years of drought because that's just the way it is. If you're a farmer, you know those come. He is prepared under God's guidance for rough days. He's preparing for a crisis. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like if through those seven years, everybody would have just, just enjoyed life, and everything was eat, drink, and be merry, and everybody just loved everything, and then all at once, here comes the drought for seven years. Well, first of all, in that drought, first year wouldn't have been so bad. They would have wished they would have had rain, but they probably would have still had some money. But by the time they get to the second or third or fourth year of the drought, they die. But they were prepared. You prepare before the crisis comes. Now, we all know this. It's just sometimes hard to do because we, we lose control. So I think about Jesus. And, you know, obviously Jesus was preparing all of his life for that moment that he would give his sacrifice on the cross. And so we think about that, and obviously Jesus, when he is living a sinless life, he is preparing to be the sinless sacrifice on the cross. All the way through, he's preparing for that. But you also remember there, close to the end of Jesus' life, you remember when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he goes to the garden, you may remember that he prays there and he prepared for what was coming next, the crisis, the ultimate crisis of all time. Jesus prepared by praying in the garden. 
And so sometimes we imagine that picture of Jesus. There's a famous painting of Jesus. He's down on his knees and he has his hands together and he's praying and he's looking up and he's in the garden. You can tell there's an olive tree behind him or something. And that's kind of the picture some of us have in our head of Jesus praying in the garden. But in the book of Hebrews, it says when Jesus prays, he wails. A little bit different picture, isn't it? Also told in the Gospels that Jesus fell on his face. And so instead of Jesus just there in the nice little white robe and praying there, he is on his face. You can imagine his hands grasping into the grass, reaching around the roots. You can imagine the dirt going into his fingernails as Jesus is praying, Father, if there is another way. But he's obedient to the Father. And because of that praying that he does, he stands up whenever he sees them coming to, to arrest him, and he says, let's go meet my betrayer. Not let's hide out, but let's go meet my betrayer. And so then Jesus goes and does what is the ultimate of all time, to give his life on the cross and to become that sacrifice. So what do I do when a crisis hits? Because we know they're coming, or we're in one right now. Maybe right now you're dealing with a health issue. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's heart, whatever. You're, you're, you're trying to deal with whatever that is. Maybe the family's coming apart. Maybe you're worried about your job. Whatever. They're all, we have a thousand of them, I bet, in this room right now. And we don't have a thousand people. But we have a lot of crises always going on. Well, here's the very first thing. I stay faithful. I don't run away from God. I stay faithful in the midst of the crisis. I don't give up on God because things aren't going right. Now, I don't know if you've heard this as many times as I have because, because being in ministry, you hear things like this. I'll, find, I'll talk to somebody who says, you know, I used to go to church or I used to be a Christian, whatever phraseology it is I use. Well, why don't you anymore? Well, because my wife died, and so I'm not going to go anymore. Because my kid was sick, and I prayed, and it didn't work out. Because, because I lost my job. Now, once what you hear are all these things that people are upset about. But the thing we've got to do is remember that I stay faithful in the crisis. If Jesus Christ doesn't go away from the Father at the, at the moment of the cross... I don't need to go away. If Jesus is faithful at that point, surely I can be faithful. So how do I do it? <coughs> well, there are different things we have to do, and discerning is the big part. But Noah, Noah just waited. Now, he built the ark like he was supposed to build it, but do you remember he waited? What the Bible says is they get all the animals, the animals go in the ark, and then, and then, then Noah and his family are told, told to go in the ark, and God closes the door, and for seven days they wait. Can you imagine through the window what he can hear people saying on the outside about crazy old Noah in there with all the animals? Can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure he had some work to do. I mean, he had to feed the animals and clean up after the animals and all that going on. But can you imagine what it was like waiting? And then what the Bible says is that whenever the rain came, it, it says it didn't just come from the sky, but it came from the depths as well. And so if you're in this boat, you can imagine you're not, you're not just singing row, row, row your boat in the thing. But instead that boat is rocking back and forth as, rain, as water comes up from the depths of the earth. 
And you realize that humanity is dying all around you. Can you imagine what that would be like? He waits. According to what the Bible says, the time that he was in the ark, the time that it rains, the time that, that then the, took for the waters to subside, and then the time to, for the, grand, the land to finally be dry again, was like a year of waiting. Some of you know a little bit of what that's like. You've been waiting for a year or two because of COVID for a job to come back or whatever it may be. Of just waiting. I think about what was said, written, inspired, inspired by God, written just after Noah, sometime after Noah, by, the King David, by King David in Psalm 27, verses 1 and 2, where he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's in the midst of his own crisis when he writes this. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Folks, that is faith. That is faith and that is trust in God when you can say that in the midst of a crisis. I don't know if you're like me, but there are days that I just want to get in the fetal position and not move. I just don't want to move. I think it is just everywhere. I don't want anything. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about any of my issues. I don't want any of that. And David, in the midst of his issues, he says, it's going to be my enemies that fall. It will not be me that falls, and it will not be God that falls. And then he goes on in verses 13 and 14, and David says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. I love this confidence he has. I will see goodness. While there are times that I say, well, I hope I see goodness. I don't use that phrase, obviously, but you understand what I mean with hope. I hope it gets better. Well, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance. He says this, this is my confidence. I will see goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But I'm going to have to wait for it. It's not going to happen today. I'm not going to be able to put my problem into a microwave and hit the button and all at once my, my problem be fixed. I can't do that. As much as I want to, it doesn't work that way. So sometimes we wait but there are also times that we take appropriate action, that we need to get up and do something. And so I think about Saul, who later becomes Paul, the great apostle. When he's Saul, he's against God. He doesn't, he, he doesn't believe Jesus is the Son of God. He tries to kill Christians. He imprisons Christians. He becomes a Christian after he sees the light. And you remember Ananias baptizes him. He starts following God. You remember that, Jesus, you remember that beautiful story. But now everybody is opposed to him. You remember that? Because you have, obviously, the Jews that feel like they've been betrayed, the government, they're after him. But I'm sure there were some Christians that were also afraid of Paul who might have been willing to be snitches and tell the government where Paul is. And so he's got all kinds of things going on. So I want you to see in Acts chapter 9, in verses 23 and 25, what happens. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul, he learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. 
But his followers took him by night and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. There are times we just need to get away. Now when Paul left, or Saul left, he took his faith with him. It wasn't as if he was no longer going to follow Jesus, no longer be a Christian. He takes his faith. There are times that we have to take action and maybe get away. I think about the phrase phrase in the Bible, flee from sin. Sometimes we have to get away from the situation that is causing our issues. And so back to Jesus. He's lived a sinless life. He's been in the garden praying, wailing, praying. And now Jesus accepted his task. He accepts what he is supposed to do, and he goes, and we sang that song, silent like the lamb. He was silent as he went through all of that. That would be a hard thing to do, to be silent. You know, I have to think if someone's whipping me, I'm going to yell back at him. Stop it. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I could do? Do you know who my father is? Jesus doesn't do that. He silently takes the beatings. He silently takes it when people say all kinds of of wrong things about him and to him. Because he's prepared. He is prepared for the crisis that is in front of him. You know, what's also amazing to me is that Jesus kept a level head. Wouldn't it be easy to lose your temper here? Anybody ever lost their temper and maybe said some words that they wouldn't want us to to, uh, say this morning in church service? He doesn't do that. He keeps a level head because he's prepared for the crisis that's in front of him. Matter of fact, he does something that seems almost totally crazy, but it's beautiful. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. To be able to have that kind of calmness when you have nails in your feet and in your hands, and there's even probably more going on than that. To have a crown of thorns on your head and to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As they beat me and insult me and crucify me. And then even at that point, he gives this personal note so specific, it's just incredible. As he looks to John and he says, take care of my mother. He's worried about his mother at that moment. Whenever we might be calling out, everybody look at me, help me, somebody help me. But he takes it. Because he was prepared for the crisis that was in front of him. So when we have a crisis, what do we do? What are we supposed to do is probably a better way to put this. We move forward. We move forward. You know, sometimes we take that passage and it certainly, certainly works most of the time of where we, you know, we keep our eye on the prize and we keep what we're supposed to be going for. And, and you, know, you look at that place out there where you're walking to and, and you start walking toward it and you get there. There are days on our walk that the prize just looks too far away today. It'll be good tomorrow, maybe, or the next day, but right now it's just too far. 
As you all know, I've done some crazy long walks in my life before. And some days, instead of looking far down the road, you know what I do? I look at my feet. And I watch my feet as I walk. Because I can't stand to think so far out as the prize. Because some days all I can do is see my own feet. And then I look up in 30 minutes or 20 minutes or 40 minutes, whatever it is. And I can't believe how far I've come. But I've just been looking down for now. Sometimes in a crisis it helps me to look up and see the prize. Other times it helps me just to look down straight at the ground and keep moving. Just keep going forward. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. Just keep going. I have to remember that God is greater than my crisis. Whatever I'm going through, God is greater. God is greater than the loss of a spouse. God is greater than the loss of a parent. God is greater than the loss of a child. God is greater than the loss of a job. God is greater than the loss of a nation. God is greater. And if I ever give in and say, now I don't follow God because I lost this or whatever, or this didn't turn out, or my, wet, my, my, my marriage didn't turn out the way I thought, and so I quit, what I'm saying is, is that my crisis is greater than God. And God is greater than everything. The day will come when everything will be right. God's promised that, and it's the truth. Everything will be right, therefore, I follow God. Now, I want you to understand this. Sometimes when we're not in the crisis and we look at someone else that is, we say, come on, you got to go. Come on. You're doing the wrong thing. You got to do it this way. Come on. Well, some of us do need some nudging sometimes, without a doubt. We all do. I need that sometimes. But at the same time, we need to give grace because we are all processing. And if I have learned anything by having... By being married and having children, it is that we all process differently. We process differently. So we give each other grace as we go through those crisis moments. As, as I see you go through it or you see me go through it, while we encourage each other and help each other, we also know, hey, they're doing it differently than I'm doing it. But we still keep working together and just keep moving forward. Back a few months ago, I read the story of a man by the, by the name of Aristides de Souza Mendes. It's kind of a fun name to say if, if you're not tongue-tied, like I just became. But Aristides de Souza Mendes is usually known as Souza Mendes. Wow, he really, he really shortened it, didn't he? He was from Portugal. And in the 30s and during World War II, he was the consul general, or the general consul, depending on how you say it. Uh, for Portugal in Bordeaux, France. Now, I don't know why, but I had never even heard of this man when I read the story a few months ago. Some of you may be way ahead of me, may know it. He is considered by many to be the individual that saved, that one individual that saved the most people during World War II. I'll also tell you that Sousa Mendes, he had some weaknesses. I'll just tell you that right up front. But he also did a lot of really good things. He was uh, considered himself to be a Christian. And he was put in this place as the consulate general in Bordeaux. And that was considered a 
pretty good place to be, except whenever Europe started falling apart because of the Nazi invasion, things started going crazy, and people would come to him and say, can you give me papers to get, to get through Portugal and out so I can get to the U.S. or, or South America? Well, Portugal claimed to, be, claimed to be neutral, and so it was a country that people could go through. And Sousa Mendes, you know, there were only so many of these papers he could give, but he would say, okay, well, he started helping everybody. He would do whatever he could to help whoever it was. There are estimates that he helped as many as 30,000 people get out of Europe, 10,000 of them Jews. And so you can see his handwriting. He would be told over and over by the Portuguese government, by Salazar, stop doing that, stop doing that. You're not allowed to do that. We're going to fine you. We are going to take your job. We're going to kill you. All these different things they'd say, and he kept writing. Whenever he first became the consulate general and he would write these papers, the, the, the signature would be the whole thing there, Aristides de Sousa Mendes. And then after a while, it became Sousa Mendes. And then it became Mendes, and then it became M. Because he was writing them as fast as he could because he said, I've got to help people get through. You know the names probably of some of the people he helped. He helped Salvador Dali and his wife Gala come to the United States. Salvador Dali was a great artist. You might remember his melting clock if you know, know that, that painting. He also helped another couple by the name of Hans and Margaret Ray. You may say, well, I don't know who Hans and Margaret Ray are. Ah, they wrote Curious George. And we wouldn't have had Curious George as, as kids if Sousa Mendes wouldn't have given them the paper so they could get out of, out of Europe. And this is why he did it. He said, I would rather be with God against man than with man against God. That is standing up in the middle of a crisis. Let me tell you, his life is not easy. He had a nervous breakdown in the middle of everything that was happening because the pressure was everywhere on him. But he did not give in to his belief that he was to help people that were in crisis. I want to emulate this part of his life. Not that I'm a consulate general, but I want to be a person that helps people who are in need, to help other people who need help. And I think about what he said here, I would rather be with God against man than with man against God. And it leads me to our question today. Whose side am I on? Man's side or God's side? So am I really prepared for the crisis maybe that I'm in right now or crises that are coming down the road? Am I ready? Well, in one sense, we say we're never ready, right? But there's another that I can do everything I can to be ready, to know God's word, to know those songs, to know the, the, the teachings of Jesus so that I can be ready. I would pray that we would never have another crisis ever happen nationally, internationally, or individually. But then again, Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust, so they're coming. So this morning, maybe you're ready to be right with Jesus be in Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be baptized in him. You can have your sins forgiven, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, be in his kingdom. That's a great way to prepare for a crisis. And then maybe some of us, we just need prayers. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org. You can come forward and you can catch me or someone else out in the foyer. We'll pray for you. 
we want to be on God's side. Good days, bad days, we want to put him first. Come as we stand and sing.